Isaiah. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult book to go verse by verse, but I think it's the best way to go through a study of a book is verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I, I think that God will really uh, bless our efforts in the end. So let's uh, pray, and then we'll be in, in Isaiah chapter 34 uh, tonight for our study. Lord, again, we come to you. We thank you for your blessings. We uh, just ask that you would, first of all, um, just, Lord, touch our hearts tonight as we study your word. Uh, Lord, there's a lot going on in the world, in our lives, and sometimes we have the tendency for our minds to wander. And, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to, to focus upon your word that you would teach us your word, and from your word we might know you. That's the real goal, Lord, is to know you, to grow, grow closer to you, that we might worship you and experience more of your presence. And Father, I just ask you, God, that uh, tonight you would help me as I teach. Father, there's no way in the world I would ever be able to even attempt to do this without your help, without your strength. Lord, I do pray for the teachers and the workers across the street and we ask you, Lord, that you would bless them, help them. And Lord, if there are any uh, in any of our services tonight that are unsaved, may tonight be the night that they uh, call upon you. They believe in you for their eternal salvation. Again, we love you, and we ask you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Isaiah chapter 34. You know, there's coming a day that's not like any other day. The day I speak of is when God pours his wrath out on the nations of the world. And remember, Isaiah, through the lens of Isaiah, is from a Jewish perspective. We have to maintain that. We can't Americanize it. We can't modernize it. And uh, dispensationally, it, it, it matters that we remind ourselves that this is about Israel and other nations. But now, let me just say this. Tonight, as we talk about these other nations, the nations of the world, and the gathering together of them, and God unleashing his wrath, I want you to keep in mind, the Bible teaches us and tells us that in end times prophecy, all nations, all, all nations will go against Israel. They will unite and go against Israel. We know, in fact, that this is not a physical battle that's taking place right now, but it is a spiritual battle. It's a battle against principalities, against uh, uh, rulers of dark forces, it, and, and it continues throughout all epochs of time until the culmination of this great day, the day of the vengeance of the Lord. Now, God, in fact, is a God of mercy. He's a God of love, but he also is a God of righteousness, and he's a God of judgment. And all too often, we like to focus on the love of God, which is good, it's important. But we have to preach God in all of His glory, in all of His attributes. And to not bring up the judgment of God would be a failure to preach God in all of His glory. And so, as tonight, we're going to get a glimpse of the coming judgment upon the world. And as I studied this, there was just one prevailing thought in my mind. And this thought was, thank God... I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved. Thank God I know Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry about any of this. And I, I, I hope that you can say that in your heart, that you are saved, you know you're saved, and you don't have to worry about any of this. Verse 1 
of Isaiah 34. Come near you nations to hear and heed you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all the things that come forth from it. There is an invitation to the nations to come and hear this prophecy. Who are you nations? Who is he talking about when he says you nations? Well, if you were look in verse 2, we'll see something, and then I'll come back to verse 1, but I just want to identify who the nations are. For the indignation of the Lord is against what? All nations. So in this passage of Scripture, he is dealing with all nations, all those nations in end times that come against Israel. Remember, in Genesis, God made the promise to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. I know you probably get tired of my saying that or hearing, hearing me say that, but I want you to understand this. It's important that we remind ourselves God will keep his word. And this, is, in fact, is yet proof again that God does keep his word. He's talking about all nations. Uh, Psalm 49.1 says this, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of of the world. Now, why would I bring that verse into it? Because that verse is important. Notice there are two things there in verse one. Let the earth, let the earth hear, and then secondly, the world and all the things that come forth from it. We have the earth and the world. It's very important that we understand this. Why does he use these two words? The word for the Hebrew word for earth refers to the earth in general. When you speak of the earth in general, that's the Hebrew word for the earth in general. Secondly, when he speaks of the world, he, it means the inhabited world. The combination of these two, the earth and the world, literally means it points to all humanity on the earth. These are all the nations that unite together with one purpose, and that is to annihilate Israel. And God is going to pronounce judgment upon them because he had made a promise that he would bless those who bless the nation of Israel and he would curse those who curse the nation of Israel. That's why we uh, stand adamantly and we encourage our government to stand with Israel, one of our long-time allies. And we encourage that. Why do we encourage that? Because we understand the promise that if we as a nation curse Israel, then God will destroy this nation. It's crucial. It's not a political game. It's serious business. It's the Word of God. When he talks about all nations or all peoples, they will gather together. This battle will take place where God's indignation and wrath are poured out on all nations. Really, there won't be a battle. There'll be a gathering together for a battle, but it will be no battle because God will pour out His wrath and His indignation upon all those nations nations all those nations now just look with me the description of this wrath let's just work through this look in verse 2 for the indignation of the lord is against all nations notice his fury against all their armies fury can you imagine the fury of god the one who created the heavens and the earth his fury his his anger against them People said God doesn't get angry. Well, you need to read the Bible. He does get angry. And God has said that his fury will come against all their armies and their armies will not stand. 
Notice he says he has utterly destroyed them. His wrath is characterized as not only fury, but as destruction. He has given them over to slaughter. His wrath is described as slaughter. These are not warm and fuzzy words. These are are serious words. Verse 3, also their slain will be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses. This is, a, this is a picture that Isaiah is painting to these people. He's saying, come and hear this. This is what's going to happen. And it's characterized by utter destruction, by slaughter, by stench. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. The mountains will flow with their blood. We get a picture in Revelation. Remember the picture in Revelation where the blood flows as high as the horse, horse's bits in their mouth? That's pretty deep. You know, I don't know how many hands high horses are. You know, many hands, they, they, that's how they measure the height of a horse. Can you imagine that depth of blood? It's literal. It's not spiritualized. It's literal. This characterizes the judgment of God. And yet people say, well, we shouldn't talk about that. No, we should talk about that. We should tell people about it. We should warn about the impending judgment. We should warn people about it because it is terrible, the judgment of God. It's terrifying, the judgment of God. Verse 4, all the host of heaven shall be dissolved. The stars shall fall. The heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll, and their host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, as the fruit falling from a fig tree. Here in a few weeks, I know you don't want me to talk about it, but here in a few weeks, the leaves will start turning colors, and before long, they'll begin to fall. Could you imagine a time when the stars began to fall like those leaves? We used to have that big sycamore tree in the yard, and that thing littered leaves like you would not believe. And it would fall repeatedly, almost raining leaves. Can you imagine the stars falling from heaven like that? Some people say, well, again, that's just, where else do you get that in the Bible? That's just, you know, that's just the Bible, you know, given some idea or some kind of spiritual meaning. No, listen, Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, when, they, the, when the seal is opened, when the sixth seal is opened, in verse 12, I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was great earthquake, and the sun became black as cloth sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place it's amazing how Isaiah lines up so perfectly with the tribulation period as revealed in the book of the Revelation. The heavens will be rolled up. The stars will fall. It is, I have never been in an earthquake that I know of. Somebody said we have one in Ohio, but I must have missed it. You know, I don't know. I must have been outside and didn't hear anything shaking or something. I don't know. 
But there are places like California and there are places around the world where they have big cataclysmic earthquakes and they say it is beyond horrifying to go through one of those. Could you imagine being here in the tribulation period when all these cataclysmic things take place? All the things that we spend our time on today and that we devote our time to apart from the work of Christ means nothing in eternity. It will mean nothing to someone who's left here in the tribulation period. This is why we teach the Word of God. This is why we promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because this is real and it will happen. And the judgment of God will fall on those who reject Him. Verses 5 through 7 give us the place of this judgment or wrath. Look at verse 5. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom. Edom is modern day Jordan. The book of Obadiah shows us that Edom is a people of God's curse. And they are uh, devoted for destruction. If you would take time to go to Obadiah and read, you will see the prophecy against Edom. They are a de- devoted for destruction. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, in his commentary, which I have right here with me, I quote, While Ammon and Moab will have a surviving remnant that will populate the Messianic kingdom, Edom will have no surviving remnant. None. Does that not bother us, church? That God's judgment will fall so hard on this place that no one, not one, will be left. The Lord is slaughtering the armies that are gathered together in Edom. And this event is described as the great sacrifice of God. He goes on as we read in verse 6. Or let me finish verse 5. Indeed it shall come down on Edom and on the people of my curse for judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made overflowing with fatness. The blood of lambs and goats with the fat of kidneys and rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra. This is called the great sacrifice of God. Basra may mean nothing to you in Hebrew, but let me tell you, and you probably are familiar with the Greek term. For Basra, the Greek name. How many of you have heard of Petra? You've heard of Petra. Why have you heard of Petra? Because that's where uh, many believe that the saints during the tribulation period will flee to hide in the rocks and the mountains at Petra. It's a place, it's the hiding place of the believing remnant during the tribulation period. And the armies will gather there to destroy the Jewish people. They think, finally, we've got them where we want them. These believing Jews were going to come. They've not taken the mark of the beast. We're going to come. We're going to destroy them. We've got them there in Petra. And we're going to annihilate Israel for once and all. What Hitler could not do, the Antichrist thinks he will do by gathering this great army together. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah 49 writes about this in uh, verses 13 and 14. If you'll let me turn there just a second and read this to you. <clears throat> 49 verses 13 and 14. 
For I have sworn by myself, says the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, a curse, and all its cities shall be perpetual wastes. I have heard a message from the Lord. An ambassador has been sent to the nations. Gather together, come against her, rise up to battle. The messages will be sent out through all the world and they will bring them here to this place of Basra, which is in Petra, as we know it, the Greek term, which is referred to as Edom, which is where the judgment is going to take place, the great sacrifice of God. They're going to come thinking that they're going to destroy Israel and there the judgment of God and the wrath of God will fall on Israel them the last part of verse 6 for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom the wild oxen shall come down with him and the young bulls with the mighty bulls their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness is going to be unlike anything that has ever been experienced before. Why? What's the reason for this destruction? We'll look at verse 8. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance. It's the day of the Lord's vengeance. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35 the Lord introduces to us that He is the one to whom vengeance belongs to. Vengeance is mine. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32, 5, and he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, when he's talking about forgiving others, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance alone belongs to God. No one else has the right to vengeance. Only God. And it is here in this place where God will pour out His vengeance against the nations who came against Israel. And, be, and let it not be mistaken. It will be, it will be thorough. It will be complete. In verses 9 through 15, we have the results of this destruction, or the results of the day of the Lord's vengeance. Look at verse 9. Its streams shall be turned into pitch. Pitch is a tar-like substance. Uh, you might be familiar with pitch when uh, Moses' mom took bulrushes and she put pitch on it to hold it together, to make it waterproof. It's a it's not anything to drink. It's putrid. It's nasty. It's dust into brimstone. Whenever you see fire and brimstone, it's an act of judgment. It's not something that's good. As a matter of fact, you often hear people talk about, I don't need any of them hellfire and brimstone preachers. Have you ever heard someone say that? You know, he's one of them hellfire and brimstone preachers. What are they referring to? They're referring to judgment. It shall, its land shall become burning pitch. That tar-like substance will be burning. Verse 10, it shall not be quenched night or day. It's going to burn continually. 
It's almost like it's a picture of hell, isn't it? Its smoke shall ascend forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. Have you ever been at your house and have your windows open and your neighbor burns something and it's horrible and you have to go shut your windows because it smells? Am I the only one that has neighbors that does that? Um, anyhow, it, uh, it stinks. And, and, and the smoke will ascend forever. Generation will lie waste. Generation to generation, it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. No one will even pass through the land anymore because of the results of the vengeance of the Lord. Verse 11 is kind of interesting. But the pelican and the porcupine shall possess it. Uh, the King James says a cormorant. There's not a real clear identification of what a, corm a cormorant is. S some translate it pelican, some translate it eagle. There's not a real good clear translation on it. A bittern in the King James Version is translated porcupine. It shall possess it. The owl and the raven. But I find it interesting, and I thought I started thinking about this, and I was turned on by the, and that's why I brought this. I want to read it to you by this thought. If it's inhabitable, and if there's fire burning, and there's smoke everywhere, then how are these animals going to live there? You ever think about that? How will they inhabit that? And I found this interesting. I'm not saying I believe it. I just had never heard this before. And I want to read to you from Arnold Frutenbaum's commentary on Isaiah. And it's interesting. It says, verse 13 describes the royal palaces and um, all this is torn. We talked about the bird. Uh, some translates the hawk. Regardless, none of the animals listed could survive in a land of burning pitch and brimstone. Therefore, these creatures must be something other than literal animals and that they really are explained in verses 13 through 15. The divine judgment itself is described as God stretching out over Edom a measuring line of confusion and a plumb line of emptiness. Isaiah used the same Hebrew phrase that is found in Genesis 1-2. Wherever these words are found, they are used in the sense of judgment. Therefore, Genesis 1-2 may be a result of judgment, specifically the judgment of Satan. What these animals are revealed in verse 14... And the wild beasts of the desert shall meet with the wolves, and the wild goat shall call to his fellow. Yea, the night monster shall settle there and find her place of rest. The Hebrew word for goat is seir. The same term is used in the description of the wild goats that will inhabit Babylon. Again, since literal goats will not survive in the land of burning brimstone and pitch, these are demons in goat form. Other scriptures, scriptures such as the book of the Revelation also compare certain types of demons to specific animals. Demons can survive in a burning wasteland. So both Edom and Babylon will become the abode for demons in the entire messianic kingdom. The Hebrew term for the night monster is 
referring to night demons. The word itself simply means nightness, to coin a word or perhaps nightlike. The final result of Edom's destruction is provided in verse 15. There shall the dark snake make her nest and lay a hatch and gather under her shade. Yea, there shall be kites be gathered, everyone with her mate. In the scriptures, snakes are also associated with Satan and demons. That's why I tell you snakes are no good. I don't care how pretty they are. In the Bible, they're associated with demons and Satan. Here it is. Rabbinic theology, rabbinic theology, rabbis, Jewish rabbis, recognize the demonic elements in verses 13 and 15. Especially in verse 14, the word for uh, that, uh, I didn't want to tell you the the Greek word, uh, Hebrew word, because I can't say it, honestly. The night monster has received a lot of attention by the rabbis. Some of them consider her mother, her, the mother of demons. So the Hebrew term became the name Lilith. In rabbinic writings, Lilith usually appears as a demon that preys on women in childbirth and young children. Remember when uh, uh, the, 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 the curse took place in the garden? He will bruise your head, he'll bruise your heel. And we work through the scriptures. Remember how they tried to kill the Lord Jesus Christ when he was born and they fled to Egypt? This is all tied into that. And this demonic woman was uh, preyed on women in childbirth and young children. And to say all that, to say this, what he is saying here is, this will be the place of abode of of demons. I cannot prove that. I, I find it hard to believe how these animals literally could live in this burning fire and place. But this is symbolic of the demonic, everything that's evil, that will be their abode during this time. Again, I can't say that with certainty. All I know is that all of this judgment, all this judgment reveals for us that it will be, it will be severe judgment upon all these nations and, are you listening, the forces behind those nations. God is serious. God is serious when he talks about vengeance. He is serious when he talks about judgment. Verse 13 says, And thorns shall come up in its palaces, nettles and brambles in its fortresses. It shall be a habitation of jackals, a courtyard of, for ostriches. The wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the jackals, and the wild goat shall bleat to its companion. Also the night creature shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. There the arrow snake shall make her nest and lay her eggs and hatch and gather them under her shadow. There also shall be the hawks gathered, everyone with her mate. Not only will there be a gathering before the judgment takes place, there will be a gathering during the judgment of these demonic forces under the judgment of God. Now, look at verse 16. 
There's an exhortation given. Search from the book of the Lord and read. Isaiah tells them, all the nations of the world, read the book. All the prophecies are in the book and not one of them will fail. Not one of these shall fail. Isaiah with certainty tells the people that what God has spoken will happen. All these judgments that are laid out will happen. It's not something that is meant to scare people. It is actually God pronouncing judgment on these nations. God does what he says and says what he does. Now, we human fathers not that way. One more time, one more time. I'm telling you one more time, God doesn't play. When he speaks, it happens. It happens. Search the book. None of these will fail. Not one shall lack her mate. For my mouth has commanded it, and his spirit has gathered them. He has cast a lot for them, and his hand has divided it among with a measuring line. Cast a lot, measured, that is indicative of judgment. It's going to happen. Isaiah tells the people of Israel to search the book and read the prophecies because not one of them will fail to happen. God's already measured it. He's already seen it. it he knows what's going to happen, and he is pronouncing judgment on them. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation, they shall dwell in it. In what? The book. The prophecies. Now, that being said, we know that that's about those nations in. What about us? How, what, what do we get from all this? I just want to make five real quick observations about this text that we can apply to our lives from this. The Old Testament was written for our admonition. It's written so that we might learn, so that we might know. I want to tell you, first of all, God has a plan. I have to remind myself continually that God has a plan. Even in this dispensation we're in, even when it looks like that God is not working and it looks like that all hell is, is, I mean, all hell is breaking loose on this earth, God has a plan. This was spoken, this was spoken thousands of years ago. And it's just as pertinent today as it was when it was spoken, when it was given. And I know that there are scoffers, and scoffers say, well, you know, he spoke that so many thousand years ago. How, where's it at? When's it going to happen? You can't provoke God. God's not provoked. He's going to do it in his time. He has a plan. He, hasn't, he has no re obligation to tell me when he is going to fulfill his plan. I accept his plan by faith. And just like he has a plan for the nation of Israel, just like he has a plan for all those nations that go against Israel, he has a plan for the church. And thankfully, we won't have to go through that. We will be raptured out of here. And that, my friends, is the best news. Secondly, God has provided a way to avoid the wrath and judgment. God, in every dispensation, offered a way to avoid his judgment, and it always has been by faith. Always by faith. By faith, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to his righteousness. It was his faith. It's always been about faith. And the only way to avoid the wrath and the judgment of God 
is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. None of that stuff. You can simply receive what he did on the cross of Calvary, dying for your sin and my sin, being buried and risen again, and believing in him. That's it. That is it. Number three, God has given us his prophecy so we don't have to be uninformed. We don't have to be uninformed. Guys, listen to me. If all this, all, all that we had of this Bible, it said, you know, you get to go to heaven, and that's all that the Bible told us, we, we, we could stand to be scared to death, right? But it's amazing to me that we believers know that we have the completed word of God and we got the promises of God and we know what God has told us His future plans are for us, yet we are just as fearful as the unbelieving. It ought not to be so. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be uninformed. God has given us His word. And just as Isaiah told all those nations, He's telling us, search the book. That's why as your pastor, I try to encourage you to be in the book. They didn't have the completed canon of Scripture. They just had the prophets. We have all that the prophets said. In addition to that, we have the Torah. In addition to that, we have the New Covenant. We have the New Testament. We have all the completed Scripture. And all we have to do, we don't have to fret. We don't have to be uninformed. But we ought to use it as an opportunity to talk to people about the gospel. Number four, God will protect his people as his plan unfolds. God will protect his people as his plan unfolds. The people hiding at this time, hiding in Petra, their hiding is not what saves them. Their hiding is what gets the enemies out. What saves them is God. He protects them because it's in His plan and no one can change His plan. So that leads me to number five. God's people must be faithful while His plan unfolds. That's what we need to be. We need to be faithful. As His plan unfolds and all this comes out, At the beginning of it, we won't know exactly when the rapture is going to happen. We know it's imminent. It could happen at any moment. What are we to do until the rapture happens? We're to be faithful. Jesus told a parable. Master went away. He said, well, what do we do while you're away? And the master told the servants, he said, you occupy till I come. You work the work of God until I come. We are to be faithful until Christ takes us home. That's the application to us, the church. And as these things start unfolding, we we will have literally a bird's eye view of all these things happening. As they unfold and we're in heaven, I'll tell you what, there will never be a time when you and I are in eternity when we say, yeah, it's just kind of mundane being up here. No. There'll never be a time when we're with Christ throughout eternity in which we're not totally overwhelmed by His presence. 
There'll never be a time in which we will not be thankful for what Christ has done for us. This ought to motivate us as believers to be faithful until his, fo- his plan is completely unfolded. Moreover, it is required in the stewards that a man be found faithful. You and I are servants of the Most High God. We need to be faithful. We are the stability in a world that's crazy. Do you know that the restrainer, I believe the Bible speaks of in in the New Testament, that it's God's Spirit-filled church that's the restrainer. The church right now, the Spirit-filled church, is what's keeping this world to completely being turned into hell right now. When he takes that restrainer, when he takes that church and the spirit-filled church out, all hell is going to break loose on this earth. We have to realize, church, that while we are here, we must be faithful. God's got a plan. I promise you his plan will not fail. We ought to talk about his plan. We ought to talk about his prophecies to others who do not know Christ, who do not believe in Christ. We ought to tell them about him so that they can be saved. And then they don't have to worry about this impending judgment. The Bible teaches us that Satan is good. He's the God of this world. He is good at blinding men and women. He's very good at blinding men and women. But there's something that is so powerful that his blinding cannot stop it. And that is the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It only takes a little bit of light to dispel darkness. Just a little bit of light. And all we have to do is share the glorious gospel. And men and women will be saved. I am thankful I don't have to worry about the day of the Lord's vengeance. There now is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. You don't have to worry about the wrath of God. Jesus Christ took it for you. That ought to inspire us to walk by faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, tonight I encourage you to turn from your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done on the cross of Calvary. Accept that you are a sinner, and because of your sin you deserve to die. And you understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he arose from the grave. And if you will believe in him and what he did for you personally, you will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? That is such good news. Such good news. God bless you. Brother Gary, would you ask the Lord to dismiss us, please, in a word of prayer?